This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. It's Sox Degrees. I'm Len Casper, along with Jason Benetti, and we are back for season two of our great podcast. And... You know, season one was, uh, I think, instructive for both of us. Unfortunately, we had to do a lot of remote podcasts over the computer. We are in person today, actually in uh, Glendale, Arizona. And hopefully most of our podcasts will be in person with our guests. Today's just you and me. It is. It is. Um, I blame the, um, I blame Sox Degrees last month from last year on myself because I went and got covid and I, you know, you go to the grocery store and you think, I, I got to pick up a couple things. Uh, broccoli. I know I need broccoli. Bananas. A COVID. Let me grab some COVID and uh, torpedo a podcast for a little while. No, we got renewed. This is great. It's great news. The network picked us up again. And uh, we have a plan to have some wonderful guests this year. But we wanted to, for this first episode, just wrap a little bit. I, you know, you came over here. To, to do White Sox radio and some TV with me and TV with Stoney. And we never got to see each other last year. So we thought it would be very nice if you and I just got to sit and talk for a little bit. We had things we needed to catch up on. No question about it. It's been an interesting couple of years, to say the least. I got COVID this past January, and I think my experience with it was similar to yours. It was about three Less than ideal days, and then about day five, I started to feel better. But it actually happened mid-January, and it was the week in which we got a ton of snow. So I probably wouldn't have left the house uh, anyway. So it actually it worked out pretty well for me. But hopefully that word <laughs> is is in our rearview mirror. And the one thing about spring training that has struck me is that it's felt pretty darn normal. And I think we need some normal back in our lives. The, the thing that has felt most normal to me is, you know, when somebody gets added to a roster, they get traded, they get signed as a free agent, they come back from a long stint on the injured list, they walk into the clubhouse, and you've never met them before. But immediately you go into a conversation that's about complete nonsense, because it's just familiar that you're standing in the clubhouse, they're standing in the clubhouse, and so you're talking about whatnot. I had that happen about a week ago with Joe Kelly. We just were standing there, and we started talking about baseball announcers. He, he brought up a name to me, and he was like, what do you got on this guy? I was like, I, okay, <laughs> good to meet you. I'm Jason. But that's the fun of the clubhouse, and that's, that's the cool part about being back in the clubhouse and being around the players is you, you never know what kind of conversation is going to come up. We will talk about the White Sox as uh, this podcast will kind of be our season preview, not only for our show, but for uh, the 2022 Sox. But let's talk more broad stuff based on how we started today. Uh, what, what have you learned about yourself and the world over these past two years? Because as we do kind of get out of this, 
some things have changed forever. Hopefully in a good way, some things maybe have changed in inconvenient ways. But what's your big takeaway uh, of the last two years for Jason Benetti? You know, I would like to say that I'm just a really adaptable person. Throw anything at me and I'll take care of it. But I, that's kind of the way I had to live for the first 36 years. So I kind of am ODing on being adaptable at this point. I don't want that anymore. I also learned recently that uh, next time somebody talks about how I walk or jokes about it or something, I just slap them in the face. <laughs> That's, that's what I do now. That's your big takeaway from the last two years. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, well, you know, recency bias <laughs> from, from award shows of uh, days gone by. No, I think, I, I mean, I think the cool thing is we know we can do games from just about anywhere. And, and we can have fun and enjoy the, the games. But I, I think I've, I've taken away most that, like, you know, you read books about Teddy Roosevelt and how much he loved the outdoors and like John Muir and all of these people who just love the outdoors. I was never like a camping guy. I was never that kind of guy. I like to explore when I travel, but I just, I have this urge to be outside more. I like want that in my life. So that other than all the jokes and the riffs from moments ago, that's my major takeaway is I want to be around people more and I want to be outside more. What about you? You just hit on it. I, I'm a pretty independent person. I'm, I'm very happy on the road to kind of do my own thing. You know, even at home, I, 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 as you know, I go out for an hour to hour and a half every day and try to get in a good run and listen to audiobooks and all those things. But I think what I've learned through the pandemic is that I really, really missed human interaction yeah. <laughs> and not FaceTime or texting or even on the phone. And I did actually spend a lot more time on my phone during the pandemic than I did previously, but the in-person human interaction is a huge part of my life. And I think I realized it's way more essential to my mental health than I think I, uh, I previously thought. The, the other thing is you have those sometimes awkward moments when a, a fan or a viewer or listener will, will recognize one of us and they feel like they know you and you're part of their family, but you've never met them. And you're like, I'm sorry, what's your name again? And it feels very uneven in that they seem to know all about your personal background and you want to get to know them. I, I miss those moments, too, and we haven't had enough of it. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, would, would you call yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah, I think me, too. And it's interesting. You and I have always gotten along, and I think it's in part because... We both are introverts. Don't you think most per performers are? I think it's interesting. I think um, like somebody like Chris Farley probably was an extrovert, like life of the party. You don't think so? No, I don't. I actually met Chris Farley. He was the featured speaker at my commencement at Marquette, and he was painfully shy backstage. Very sweet, very kind, uh, generous with his time but came off to me as almost a Robin Williams-like figure in that manic, crazy, out of control publicly and very shy, almost painfully so off, off mic or off camera. Interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed that uh, considering how manic he was on air, but Robin Williams is a good comparison because he obviously was that type of thing. I just, I, I miss those two 
because I like randomness in the world. I mean, everything was so tightly scheduled and packed and everything was so mundane in that we'd done it before. What new experiences did any of us have in, in 2020? I, I, the, the world really shrunk and I, I have vowed to make sure that never happens again. Yeah, I mean, the new experiences were kind of getting used to not being able to physically explore the world as much yeah. <laughs> as possible. Oh, and, and I think mentally kind of exploring your own mind, which <laughs> can, can be its own uh, minefield, so to speak. Yeah, the both of us need more of that. Like, let's, let, let's have Jason and Len sit with their feelings more. Yeah. That's going to go good. Yeah. All right, so uh, a peek behind the curtain. One great benefit of us being together on the road, which includes spring training is that we've been able to have a couple of meals together. And I had found, you know, the Wordle craze is, is such, a, such a big thing, and most people listening have tried Wordle, probably play it every day. Some people will do it the second it comes out at midnight or whatever. There is kind of another version of that that's called Semantle, and I found it, and we don't have to describe the entire game, but it's basically guess a word. There's no limit on how long the word can be, and you just start guessing. There are no limit on guesses. Uh, it's based on semantics and you know word usage. And I said, hey, you might enjoy this. And within about 24 hours, I thought we might need an intervention. So I, I feel good that I found a game, a word game that speaks to you, but it might speak to you a little too much. My pulse rate, like, I don't know if on this microphone device you have, if you can check a pulse rate, but as you started talking about Samantha, my pulse rate um, really exploded. And I, I've always enjoyed words and like the difference between like gallop and trot, right? Like I, I, I love exploring what small different situation you would use a certain word in. That's always been a wheelhouse sort of thing for me. And you have delivered a, a version of this where it doesn't stop until you get the correct answer. And it's, um, it's always a word that you should have thought of. You know, it's, it's never like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, right? It's always something like sore. And you're like, it's, it, instead of clandestine, it'll be secret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you're racking your brain for this word as you currently are with today's semantle. <laughs> and I feel for you, there's like a pain here, but I, I've never been big on like knockoff games. Like when somebody creates something really cool, I wouldn't play like another version of Wordle because I don't, I don't like that. But this is so unlike Wordle. It's only in name that it's like it, that I'm very willing to play this and, uh, you know, self-loathe. <laughs> So uh, this is the game that's supposed to take your mind off the real world and mo more important things. But there's a fine line in terms of anxiety and stress in the things that are supposed to alleviate those problems. I enjoy the New York Times crossword puzzle. I enjoy uh, Spelling Bee, uh, which is a pangram on, on that website. But I used to play backgammon online and I really love backgammon but I would get to the point where my rating mattered too much I couldn't quit at the end of the night and so I just deleted it off my phone and you have to do that every once in a while too did you ever play uh, any of the Yahoo card games when Yahoo had like you could play hearts with three mm -hmm. random people oh yeah spades with and I did this I had to quit 
I, I did the same thing because the rating where <laughs> we are introverts who are highly competitive at dumb stuff, I think is what's happening here. But yeah, I used to go online and just play spades with random people and like climb the ladder and get your rating good and get mad when people left in the middle of the game. You're nodding right now. Well, I relate to it. Yeah, for sure. So trying to limit my, my iPhone gaming, it's right now it's Wordle, Symantle, maybe an occasional Quartal, Octortal. Octortal? Yes. Eight words. So you type in... No. You, you type in split, and it starts an eight-word. You get like 11 guesses. Yeah, whatever it is. 12 guesses. What? Yeah. What are we doing? I thought, I thought we banned steroids. Now the games are taking steroids. That's right. Yes. Let's talk big picture baseball. We've got a deal. You and I are both excited about umpires. We'll explain replays what the challenge is, and what the ruling is. Yeah, let's, let's tell the people, too. Uh, you and I and a couple of other folks uh, were in New York over the offseason and got a whole tour of the replay facility. And I have to say, and I've been critical, and I know you've been critical of certain things, but talking to Major League Baseball then and then being on the calls we've been on in spring training about rule changes, Major League Baseball deserves a lot of credit for trying to be progressive with rule changes. Some you'll agree with, some you won't. The, the changing the size of bases to try to create more uh, stolen bases and use of athleticism in the game, I think is a really good idea. The pitch clock has had great success in the minor leagues, and we may see it in the majors. But I think my overarching takeaway is Major League Baseball has heard what people are saying. They are doing a lot to experiment, which I think the game sometimes in its past has not done. It's sort of gotten locked into rules in pockets of time. But I, I just love, and people who watch Sox games, and you and I have talked about it on games we've done together, when, when um, young people and when new fans get to learn the rules, they're more likely to stay and watch more and take it in more and come to the ballpark more. And it's just more fun when you know what's happening on the field. So to hear the explanations from umpires, I think is huge for fans. You? I totally agree. Hockey is my other kind of favorite sport. I watch a lot of NHL games in the offseason, and I would claim that if the league did a better job on a nightly basis of explaining very specifically what icing and offside are, if you didn't grow up watching hockey, you have a real tough time trying to figure out and I think soccer offsides mm -hmm. is also difficult for people who, who haven't watched it their whole lives. So um, I, I totally agree with you on, the, on those rules um, and, and making sure we understand it. And there's still uh, interference, obstruction, that play at first base where the runner is out of the lane. We need to do a better job of explaining it. But I think you and I really make an effort to, when we see a crazy play, Instead of just yelling, they got it right, they got it wrong, of saying, okay, here's what the call was. And sometimes, Jason, it's not our job as much of did they get it right or wrong as simply to say this is why they made the decision they made. For me as a broadcaster, that's way more important in my opinion of whether it's right or wrong. I agree completely. I agree completely. And I felt like in years past, even with our knowledge combined of the rule book, there have been times where I felt like I'm guessing – on why they adjudicated something a certain way, right? Like we'd look at the replay and I'd know in the back of my mind, well, maybe they saw something that I didn't or that we didn't, but I don't know what that is. So I can only go on what's in front of me. 
And when you get it explained to you, generally, you say, oh, well, I didn't, you know, like we, we weren't thinking about that in the moment or they had a different angle because there are plenty of angles that they have in New York and Manhattan that, that we don't necessarily get to see. But my understanding of the game comes from watching situations and having them explained to me. And that's going to be the same for another generation of baseball fans. And by the way, we have umpires. You and I have gotten to know a lot of the umpires in this league. We have umpires who have personalities. They're going to be nervous at first. Brian Anderson just tweeted that earlier today. Like, give them a little rope here. Like, let them, let them figure out their way. But I think we're going to have personalities. And they're going to they're gonna flourish. And I think umpires are going to be more likable. That's not bad for anybody. Yeah, when I grew up, you had American League and National League umpires. They had huge personalities. And I think maybe in some cases the personalities were too big and maybe overshadowed the, the games at times. A lot of the arguments with managers became iconic, and they're fun to watch. So I think MLB tried to take that out of uh, the game a little bit, but there is maybe uh, a, a sweet spot where we can make them a little more human in that regard, and uh, I'm all for it. I think it'll work out really well. I'm very excited that we're going to play a full 162. I think the integrity of the schedule matters. One thing for Sox fans to note about the extra playoff team, six teams in each league now get in. That's three wild cards and three division winners. If we had this system last year, the Sox would have had to play and beat the Toronto Blue Jays in a three-game series. All three would have been at home just to get to the Houston Astros in the second series. So that adds a layer to the end of the year. If the Sox are in a similar position this year, and there are two or three games behind the second uh, division winner. It'll be interesting to see how the team views that in terms of how hard do you press in that final week, knowing you're going to be in the playoffs, but that you might have to play a wild card series. It definitely, I think, majority depends on your dip, your depth of starting pitching, right? Like, but I think I think there's huge value in that. I just off the cuff. I love thinking about what people are going to do with rule changes. Like, will the bases increasing in size create more? Will there be enough value for teams to run more? What will happen to that? Like, we, I think we were on the same call earlier today, and I asked the question because in low A, in low A, they're going to have uh, an umpire, but also automatic balls and strikes, and you can challenge the umpire's call on the ball or strike, and you get three challenges per game but the challenge is instituted by the batter the catcher or the pitcher and not the manager and I you know this there are people in clubhouses who say that guy complains all the time about balls and strikes what if he uses up all your challenges every game in one at bat in um, one at bat I think it's the it's a horrible and great idea in a lot of ways <laughs> that's exactly where I landed too that's why I was laughing when I asked the question because we both know the personality type of somebody who'd be like that they never let me challenge every time I challenge they give me a look it's because you're wrong all the time yeah. and you're selfish oftentimes players and, and with all due respect they're the worst people to to make that call because they're so emotionally invested in every at bat uh, yeah I, and again as you said a reminder it's in the minor leagues this year, and we could end up seeing it at the big league level. Although, if I had to make a guess right now, and again, the future, who knows? I'm doubtful we will ultimately have a challenge system. I think we're going to probably go all the way to a computerized strike zone. I was interested. I, I agreed with you until I heard the way they're doing it, though. Because I do think you could make the argument that, well, 
you know, it's like football, right? You get a couple challenges and we get all the majorly important plays right. So umpires, I mean, the umpires have a, a union and I think you could see the middle ground get hit and maybe that's why they're exploring that is, well, this is a way for us to make balls and strikes more accurate while also keeping the home plate umpire's job intact. I, I, it's, I like the way you put that because I, I think it's a horrible and a great idea, <laughs> but I do like the idea that you could challenge that and not have the whole rigmarole because the first thing batters or pitchers say about the automated strike zone is people are going to game the system. So I've, I've never been in favor of doing it straight up, only automated balls and strikes, because I just think it's not tamper slash end around proof is the way I'd put it. Well, the other one, too, is if we did use that system, would it mesh with the replay system? And you would say you get three or four challenges total per game, and that includes balls and strikes. And if that happened, I'm not sure we would have any other replays. That's because right. I think there's so many borderline calls that would probably get, you know, get get reviewed that the safe out call might just be a thing of the past. I think that's right. And I, I also think as we're talking about this, this didn't hit me. But I do think if they instituted the challenge system in Major League Baseball, where you got to challenge four balls and strikes per game, something like that, take whatever number you want. I think we would learn very quickly that the mistakes the umpires make generally generally don't affect the game as much as we thought in the first place. Because if you're having to both use properly the challenges while conserving them, you would see managers say, eh, it's not worth it. It's more and more. And then we'd understand that the balls and strikes don't take the team out of a game nearly as much as we thought. All right, let me put the kink in the hose. You ready? Mm -hmm. Wilmer Flores, there's nothing that would change that call, which ended the what, 107-win giant season because it was a check swing at the end of uh, Game 5 and the Dodgers win. Like, we can't do check swing replays, right? You can't. That, well, the, the reason you can't is, again, like, this is the drum that I beat more than, like, you know, name your drummer. <laughs> but, like, there's no check swing rule. How are you going to measure it? You can't. There's literally no definition of a swing in the rule book. And in my understanding, the umpires want to keep it that way because they don't want to have to adjudicate by the letter of some law. They'd rather it just be like, eh, I don't think it is. But anybody who tells you that like, oh, well, his, you know, it broke the plane. BS, right? Like that's not that you can't because there's no rule. We need a rule first. And it's amazing with how deep the baseball rule book is that there's no rule. Would you be of the mindset of any sort of flinch or movement could be considered a swing? No. Well, that's that would change. see when we were when we were on that call today baseball you know the baseball officials that were on the call were talking about how one of the reasons and I didn't think about this when I was calculating the banning the shift or changing the shift right one of the reasons they've done it is because historically you'll see a batted ball on TV and you'll think oh that should be a hit and then there's a guy there I actually think that's a better justification than what we've heard before about, like, there'll be more action, more base hits. People aren't looking for singles in Major League Baseball right now. They're just not. But I actually, I buy the justification of, like, well, we've always watched the game, and when it's hit straight up the middle, that should go into center field. I get that. So if you change the check swing materially like that, people are going to freak. No, you're right. All right, let's talk big picture White Sox. Uh, by the time this airs, there may have been more action as teams try to set their roster. 
But the big news in the offseason, Josh Harrison signs, will ostensibly be the everyday second baseman. Obviously, Leori Garcia will play a lot of second base. Joe Kelly and uh, Kendall Graveman are now a part of the bullpen. Unfortunately, Garrett Crochet is injured. And Craig Kimbrell was traded to the Dodgers for A.J. Pollock. So the core is intact, but some tweaks to the roster. Yeah, I, as I think about it, I wonder if you were to say what one unit or skill set, however you wanted to play it, what's the biggest advantage the White Sox have over the rest of the American League? Where is that right now, including all the moves you were talking about? I would say, is that a leading question, by the way? No, no Your Honor. Uh, I'm just interested because I think it's fluctuated during the offseason. All right. I would say organizationally, it's outfield depth. At the top of the, the chart, so to speak, I think you have arguably six or seven uh, players, big leagues and, you know, triple A, double A who could play in the big leagues right now in right field. So I'm not even including Jimenez and Robert. Now you add Pollock to the mix, but Vaughn, Sheets, Cespedes, Colas uh, down the list. And I think at the big league level, prior to the crochet injury, it would have been bullpen. Yeah. And I, I so I wonder where the Sox feel like they are bullpen wise right now, because you take crochet out of there and you still have some pretty lethal top flight, the top four in that bullpen still even without Kimbrel now, are still really strong and still guys that can go get you 12, 16, you know, 18, 20 outs if you really need them to. But I think there's an opportunity for like whatever 2022 version of 2020 Matt Foster is or Cody Hoyer. Like, will it be Bennett? Will it be Kyle Crick? Like, who, who is it going to be? But now there's that opportunity there, and I think the Sox can tinker. And for me, this is very odd to say, I think. But I think one of the most important guys to the pitching staff is going to be Ronaldo Lopez. I would agree. He will, I guess, kind of be in the Kopec role, but I think Kopec plus yeah. in that Ronaldo actually has a lot more starting experience than Michael did going into last year. And, you you know, you got, you've already got two doubleheaders with Kansas City or three or whatever, two, two and then another. Two plus there. a makeup. Yeah. You know you're going to have doubleheader days. You know you're going to need somebody like that. And if you end up with seven or eight rainouts, ah, like sixth starter is a thing this year for me. Yeah, I agree. All right, last one. Just pick a guy. I don't really need to define it. I'll start if you want or if you have a guy. Oh, no. no. I thought this was like no, Samantha. No, 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 no. This is, where I just pick no, a guy no, no. and is it close enough? No, this is White Sox pick a guy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take Luis Robert. I think he could win the MVP this year. Uh, yeah, man, that, like that's where I, we were just talking about that on TV the other day. I, I think he's, I really think he's a future MVP. I really do. And it's scary because you have Eloy Jimenez out there in left field who power wise, he's got that kind of stuff too. And so then you put AJ Pollock out there and you're like, all right, well, this lineup, I mean, I, Robert is the answer to that question for me. Like, Robert is the guy who can go win an MVP. But if you see 2019 Yohan Moncada power combined with 2021 Yohan Moncada on base percentage, he was third in Fangraph's war at third base last year. And people kill him. Like, I don't get that one. I I understand that, like, the power is not the same as 19. But that's that's a real all-star caliber third baseman. But for me, the headline of this White Sox season is we. how many days did we see that offense together last year? And they were still fourth in OPS in, in the American League. 
in a in a pretty deep offensive American league. I, I maybe I'm crazy or stupid, but I think the Sox can have the best offense in the AL. Well, we'll spend the rest of the year trying to figure out the answer to that question. Let's play the first part of the question. Or stupid, brought to you by. <laughs> by the way, if we're airing grievances, uh, I have one large one. Yes, Monty Grandal was not even on the finalist list for Silver Slugger last year, and I know you only played 92 games, but that is a crime against humanity. <laughs> uh, he had an OPS in the 900s. He actually finished with a 240 batting average after hitting, I think, about 157 before he suffered the knee injury. Uh, I get why Salvador Perez is everybody's favorite, but Yaz might have even been better than Salvi was offensively if you look at all the numbers. I agree. I agree. That was that was a weird one. But, you know, people people fall into not even a finalist. Not not, that he didn't win. He wasn't even on the list. Yeah, it's not. It's nonsense. But, you know, game total and all that stuff. I do want to say before we go, I want to ask you, because I think we each found some guests that we each were intrigued by that we hadn't met. And I want to ask you, uh, who are a couple of guests that you'd like to get on the podcast this year that you know, might be like people you know you can get or people like you have no idea you can get. Like you asked Tim Anderson the other day, who haven't you met that you'd like to meet? All right, we can go anywhere, right? Anywhere. That's Mag- a great thing about Magic it. Johnson. Interesting. Because not only was I a huge Magic fan growing up, uh, I'm watching Winning Time on HBO, which is about uh, the, the Showtime Lakers, but Magic's post-playing career has been fascinating He's one of the great entrepreneurs in the world, and he's a baseball guy with the Dodgers. So there's a lot of interesting things we could talk about with Magic. That's a great one. For me, Jeremy, uh, is it Jeremy Strong, the guy who played uh, yes. Kendall, Kendall yes. on Succession? Like the, the piece on him was fantastic, but I'd love to sit down and talk to him about the whole deal. So that, that would be a headliner for me. And the other one, just because I've been watching a lot of Faulty Towers, I would love to get John Cleese on the podcast. Yep, that'd be great. It, just a, a comedic genius. And we started with Bob Odenkirk, so there's a, there's a comedy vibe here. Uh, when Kendall Graveman pitches, are we going to get some succession quotes? <laughs> when, 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 when Liam Hendricks pitches, we get a lot of succession <laughs> quotes. He doesn't mean to. <laughs> All right, well, we look forward to uh, chatting with you every week. Or thereabouts. I don't know. Every other week, do we have a schedule? We, do, you know what? That's the thing. We're a fluid situation, but we will be dropping every whatever it is. Like we're not going to miss weeks if we go weekly, and we're not going to miss weeks if we go every two weeks. And you know what? If we go uh, every couple of weeks, maybe we'll just play games in between, or we'll we'll talk about our semantic scores. I like that idea. All right, we'll talk to you whenever. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. I don't, I don't want people to get the wrong idea, though. Like, we are going to get some really good people here, and we're going to be here for you. We just don't know how often yet, because we haven't decided. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 